You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to you all. We're in a series called The Conquerors and we are kind of taking the last portion of the book of Judges and going through that together. I bet most of you have been alive long enough to know that often there's more things happening to a story than what you just see with your physical eyes. There's more things happening maybe under, under the surface than you're able to see. True story, uh, several years back in Virginia, uh, there was a young man, just a gamer, all day long gamer, unemployed. He lived across the street from, from a bowling alley. And he noticed as he was home every afternoon looking through his living room window that there was a, an armored car truck that would pull up in front of the bowling alley the guard would go inside and would come back with, with two bags of money, put them in the back of the armored car and would drive off. At some point, this, this young unemployed guy thought, I could, I could rob that guy. And I think I'm gonna make a plan to do so. So he watched him you know, every Friday go in, come back out, an armored car with two bags of money. He thought, here's what I'm gonna do. He devised this plan. I'm gonna take my gun. Doesn't have any bullets in it, but I'm taking my gun and I'm gonna hold this guy up and there's some woods behind the bowling alley. I'm gonna park my car on the other side of the woods. So when he comes out with those two bags of money, I'm gonna hold him up, grab those two bags of money, run through the woods to my parked car and then I'm gonna drive my car back around to my house and go into the garage and watch what happens out my living room window and kind of watch how the police come and see see what's happening. So one Friday, he had enough courage to, to finally do that. He was desperate enough or needed the money, so he took his gun, and as the armored car driver comes out, the armed guard comes out of the bowling alley, he, he holds him up at gunpoint, and the guy drops the two bags of money, and the young man grabs the bags of money and runs through the woods and goes to his parked car and drives around and gets in his garage and goes into, into the, the, the living room window and is watching out the window. Well, the armored guard, he went inside to the bowling alley manager, and said, you'd never believe what just happened. I was just held up at gunpoint. And the manager of the bowling alley said, did he take your wallet? He said, no, just those two bags of laundry of the dirty towels here from the the bowling alley. This whole time, he thought it was an armored car and it was a laundry truck. And it wasn't two bags of money, it was two bags of old towels. This is a true story, a police report. You can find it in Virginia from about 1999, I think is when this happened, about 20 years ago. There's often more things happening below the surface than than what we see. Often there's more to the story than we think at first glance. This is what's happening in Judges chapter 14. There is more to the story than we just initially read. So if you're a copy of God's word, let's go together to Judges chapter 14. And we're going to be introduced today to probably a guy who needs no introduction whatsoever. His name is Samson. Judges chapter 14. Let's go to verse one together. I encourage you to have your copy of God's word for us to look at this together. If you forgot your copy, I'm certain a person next to you would be glad to share. You can go to your smartphone and go to your U version of Bible this morning and just make sure you're not looking at scores or reliving a crazy big 12 football day yesterday. Sorry if those wounds are still fresh for a few of you longhorns who might be in here. (laughs) Judges chapter 14, verse one. So Samson went down to, to Timnah and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines 
Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Guess that's one way to find your wife. Mom and dad, go get her for me. A couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, Timnah was down in the valley. Now it was part of of Israel, but at this point the Philistines were occupying Israel. They were oppressing the Israelites. And so they took all the fertile land. So Timnah was a fertile city down in the valley. So the crops were grown there. Now the Israelites, they were fearfully living up in the hills. So this is where Samson is and his mom and his dad. We know his dad's name is Manoah, like Noah with Emmy in front of it, Manoah. And so they were up in the, up in the hills hiding out. They were fearing for their lives. But he comes down to Timnah, Samson does, and he, he sees this, this girl. Now there's a phrase here I want you to, to see. It's that phrase, went down. Now, I don't want to under-preach this. I don't want to over-preach it either. But that phrase went down is very interesting because five more times in this chapter, we'll see that phrase went down. We see it in verse five. We see it in verse seven. We see it in verse 10. We see it in verse 17. We see it in verse 19. There's always kind of this, this going down. Samson, he went down. Even the sun went down. Manoah and Samson, they, they went down. Samson again went, went down. And I think what it is, anytime you're reading scripture and there's a word or a phrase that's repeated over and over again, I believe that's the Holy Spirit kind of telling us, this is what I want you to, to see. So that phrase went down actually becomes almost a symbolic description of the life of Samson. It's just spiraling out of control downward into rebellion, addictions, impulses. And so he went down to, to Timnah and as he goes down there, he comes back up because he has found this, this lady and he's asking his mom and dad, would you go get that lady for me? And the entire time he's just spiraling downward away from God. And if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down at some point this morning. Sin takes a person down. It always has. Sin is, is designed as a weight. Sin is designed as, as a burden. The, the enemy hopes for us that if we are caught up in sin or a, a cycle of sin or addiction of sin, that it'll constantly weigh us down so we're not able to move forward in our walk with God. It weighs us down, it, it pulls us down, it holds us back. It slows us down in our walk with the Lord. Sin has a way of depleting our joy. Sin has a way of depleting our self-control. Sin has a way of wearing down our rest or wearing down our confidence spiritually. This is the design of of sin by our enemy. And we see this in the life of, of Samson, just in that thought of him always going down the spiritual spiral downward into, into rebellion, into, into disobedience. I might have to ask you this morning, have you... Do you feel like you've lost some of your joy? Do you feel like you've lost some rest or your confidence in Christ, your confidence in God's presence? Do you feel like you've lost some self-control? I would have to ask you if that's the case in your life. Are you embracing a sin? Are you holding on to a disobedience? Because sin has this way of just wearing us down and taking us down. My little sub-thought to that would simply be this. If your passions and impulses rule you, then your demise is approaching. 
This is what's happening in the life of Samson. He is allowing his, his impulses to, to rule him. He's allowing his passions, his flesh to rule him. And you probably know the story already. His demise is coming in a few chapters. But it begins right here in, in chapter 14 of his lack of ability to have an impulse control. He's being ruled by all of his passions. Did you see what's happening here? He, he goes down, he sees a woman and he wants her. No conversations, no Dr. Pepper, no what's your values, no discerning of God's will, no courting, no interest. I see her, I want her. Because he has no ability whatsoever to, to rule over his, his lack of impulse control. He has no ability to rule over his, his passions. And this is going to lead, Highland, this is going to lead to his demise. It's going to lead to his Downfall that he is not able at all to, to push back the passions, to push back the impulses. And let me just make this statement to you in case some of you are really sleepy on this Sunday morning. You're thinking this would be a great opportunity for a nap. I, I never discourage people from you know, taking a great nap, even if it's while I'm preaching. If you need a nap, you just you sleep away. It's a kind of short sermon today, so it's going to kind of be a short nap for you. But if you feel like you're about to slip into a coma because it's been a long Saturday and the rhythm of of this voice is just kind of making you really sleepy, before you sleep, would you please remember this statement with me? Maybe even write this statement down. You will either be ruled by Jesus or ruled by something lesser. That's true of everyone in this house. Either we will allow Christ to rule us, we'll be ruled by Jesus, or anything else that we allow rulership over our lives is gonna be lesser than Jesus. And this might be one of the things that we can see here in the upper story of the life of, of Samson. Let me just say that if you're ruled by anything else other than Christ or outside of Christ, then you are ruled by something lesser than him, lesser than the king. And here we see in the life of Samson, he's just being ruled by his passions. He's just being ruled by these, these impulses. His demise is, is coming. So let's see what mom and dad are gonna say here. It's in Judges chapter 14, verse three. Let's pick it up. But his father and his mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, which means there's no, no one in our tribe at all that you can marry, or among even all of our people, speaking of all of Israel, certainly not within our tribe, would there not be someone from, from Israel, from, from our people that you can marry, that you have to go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Now you hear that phrase a whole lot in the Old Testament, uncircumcised Philistines. David's gonna shout that out to Goliath and a few, few years later on after this story. What that really is, calling the Philistines uncircumcised is a reminder that they are not the covenant people of God. They don't have the sign of the covenant. So they are saying to their son, we we know that you have seen this woman and you want this woman, but can you not marry? Because Deuteronomy has already told us that God's will for our people, God's law for the Israelites is to marry only within the covenant people of God. So why are you going after this uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, because he's still ruled by his impulses, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Moms and dads, there's a couple of things we can learn from this one short verse. Future moms, future dads, this might be a great thing to hold on to for the years down the road that if God so wills that you might have little ones in your household. Can we see three things about the family this morning from from verse three alone? And here's 
Here's the first one. When the child becomes the controlling voice and decision maker in the household, there will be dysfunction. Some of y'all groaned because you know that's true. When you allow a child to become the controlling voice, now I'm not saying at all that they don't have a voice. I think every child should have a voice in their house, but I'm talking about a controlling voice and the decision maker in the household, then it becomes a dysfunctional house. I've never had a kid email me saying, what a terrible sermon, but I might get that today after saying this and putting this on the screen. You, you should not allow your kids to be the rulers of the household, the controlling voices of the household, the dysfunction is, is gonna be following. And this is what we see here. He was commanding his parents, you go, you get her for me. It was a command that he was giving his parents to, to arrange this marriage, to make this marriage happen. Now, Samson, as a child, even as an older child in this relationship, he is becoming the decision Maker. Now, this marriage, probably of no surprise to anyone in this house today, does not work. In fact, this Philistine woman ends up moving in with one of Samson's groomsmen from the wedding and is having a relationship with him. And Samson, who's such a childish man, goes to their house, knocks on the door with a goat under his arm, and is going to try to woo her back with a goat. No one has told this man about chocolate and flowers and how well those two things work. And he stands there with a goat and a goofy grin is kind of hoping to, to get this Philistine woman back, but she refuses. She has nothing to do with it at all. There's no surprise here that this relationship's going to end dysfunctionally because the child was given the controlling voice in the household, the controlling voice in the family. He was made the decision maker. Here's the second thing I would say to you. We'll see this in the remainder of this chapter. And it's simply this to moms and dads, parents, we stand against the sin, but we don't stand against our child. Something really interesting happens here. I think we can learn moms and dads, future moms and dads from Manoah and from his wife. Manoah and, and his wife continue to stand with their son even though they stand against his disobedience, they stand against his sin, they stand against his addictions. I want you to see this, it's in verse five. I don't think this is on the screen behind me, but you do have it in your Bible in front of you. Look at Judges chapter 14, verse five. Then Samson, he, he went down with his father and with his mother to Timnah. And so as he goes down to pursue this lady, I want you to see that mom and dad are with him, even though they've already said, this is not God's best. This is not God's will for your life. You need to marry within God's covenant people, but they continue to walk with him. In verse 10, his dad does the same thing. Manoah does this in verse 10. His father, Manoah, he went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. So Manoah, Samson's father, is still walking with him, standing with him, even though he is standing against that sin. I would like to say to all the mothers and fathers here, here today, when your son or your daughter is in rebellion, your son or your daughter is pushing back against God, they're disobedient from the word of the Lord. Let me just say this, unapologetically, you stand against their sin, but unapologetically, you stand with your child in love. And you walk with them even during the most rebellious years of their lives. Here's the third thing I think we can see from this passage. And this is to the students and to the children and to the kids who are here today. Children and, and students, the worst position in which you can put your parents is to pit God's best and your parents' godly wisdom against your own selfishness. It's a terrible place to put your parents. Your mom and or your dad are giving you 
godly wisdom and godly advice and they're pointing to you God's best for your life. And you're pitting that against your own self-centeredness. I've been in ministry for 28 years now as a youth minister for 10 of those years, pastor for, for 18 of those years. I can't tell you, can't tell you how many times I've gone to a coffee shop or set with an 18 year old or a 20 year old, sometimes even a 25 or 30 year old and have heard them say these words almost exactly. I wish I would have listened to my parents' advice. I wish, and sometimes this in the middle of some of the greatest hurt in the life of this young man, or the greatest hurt in the life of this young woman, and I've heard them say these words over and over again. I just wish I would have listened to the wisdom of my mom and my dad, and I would not find myself here. It's a terrible place to put your parents, students, kids, children, when you're pitting God's best against your own self-centeredness. Um, I think I have time to preach this. I'm doing pretty good on time. Look at verse 10. I thought about skipping this, but I want you to see this. It's pretty, pretty powerful. Verse 10, it says that his father went down also to, to Timnah, went down to that woman, and Samson prepared a feast there also, for so the young men used to do. Now, that is against Jewish culture. So here's what's happening. For, for the feast, for the marriage feast, the father in this situation, Manoah, was going down with Samson into the valley to prepare the feast to be with, with the bride-to-be. That is not Jewish custom. Here's Jewish custom. Jewish custom is mom and dad would stay at home in the father's house and the groom would go and get the bride and bring the bride back to the father's house for the feast. That should stir something in you. In the father's house, he sends the groom to get the bride, to bring the bride back to the father's house for a wedding feast, a feast that for the church will last forever. And here in Samson disobeying his mom and his dad, Samson even disobeying the law for Israel, he throws out the window, one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ and his people, his bride, the church, going back to the father's house to be in the father's house forever for a marriage feast of the lamb. In his disobedience, he throws out that picture of Jesus and the church. There's something about sin that takes us down. There's something about disobeying our parents and, and pitting our self-centeredness versus the, the wisdom, the godly wisdom of our parents. Let's look at Judges 14, verse four. And before we get there, let me just say, Judges 14, verse four might be one of the most powerful sovereignty of God passages in all the Old Testament. Now, let's look at verse four. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Now, now catch this. I, I did it on the screen behind me. It may not be in your Bible. If you have the ESV or the New American Standard, it's the word he right there. And you should capitalize the H and he. In fact, I think the NAS does capitalize the H and he. If you have the NIV, it uses the, the, the pronoun who right there. That should be a, a capital W because this is speaking of the Lord. That pronoun right there, he or who, is the closest antecedent to the word Lord. And so it's speaking of God here. God was looking for an opportunity. So catch this again in verse four. Look at the sovereignty of God. His mother and his father, Manoah, Samson's mom, they did not even know it was from the Lord for God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. What is happening here is that God is at work. He is at work implementing his plan even in the middle of this miserable situation, even in the middle of this miserable failure. 
God's at work. You might want to write this down in your heart if you don't write it down in your notes. God is at work even in our failures. At the lowest point of your life, God is still working. I mean, Samson has made this terrible decision. He has gone against God's law. He has gone against honoring his mother, honoring his father. He has, he has moved away from that. Yet during all of this, God is still at work. Now, what's God doing? Did you catch what God was doing here in verse 4? Something interesting has happened in chapter 13 and chapter 14 that doesn't happen anywhere else in the book of Judges. If your Bible is still open, you're probably in chapter 14. Just look over probably the other side of the page, maybe one page back, chapter 13, verse 1. Look at Judges chapter 13, verse 1. It says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now that phrase is over and over again in the book of Judges. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Every other time right after this verse, or after this verse is listed in every other chapter of the book of Judges, it says, and the people of Israel cried out to God. They don't do it here. They don't cry out to God. God has delivered the Israelites into the hands of the oppression, the judgment of the Philistines, and they're not crying out to the Lord. Israel, in fact, never cries out at this point with the Philistines over them in the time of Samson. So Samson was gonna have to irritate the Philistines so that they would rise up now against the Israelites. Remember, they were just oppressing the Israelites. Now, God is stirring things up. God is at work even in the failures of Samson. He's gonna stir the Philistines up, so now they go and they attack Israel. And now, this time, God will call up a deliverer and push them back. God is at work in the middle of all this. Here's my little subthought to that. Even in our most desperate, dead-end situations, God is working. And some of you might be there today. A desperate, dead-end situation. It feels like it's hopeless. It feels like things keep piling on top of you. It feels like you don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right. Things seem overwhelming to you, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your finances, maybe with your kids, maybe with your classes. Things at work, things with your parents. God is always at work. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of Jesus. In John chapter five, verse 17, when he said, my father, he's always at work. He is always at work. I encourage you today, if you feel like you're at one of those dead end spots of life, most desperate situations in life, to be reminded of the words of Christ, your father, your God in heaven is at work, even when you cannot see it. And this is what I mean, but there's something else going on. God is doing something we cannot see at first glance. At first sight, we don't understand that God is at work in our lives. This, Christian, this is our hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness. We can lean wholly into his name because God is always at work. Jesus said it, God, his father is always at work. Judges 14, verse five. Then Samson, here it is again, he went down. He went down with his father and mother to Timnah and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. This is a weird verse to me. I've got a 
I've got a long list of things I want to ask the Lord. This is somewhere in there. One, why, why do you not tell your mom and your dad what you just did? Because that's pretty incredible. You're not, I'm out of here near enough oohs and ahs. Here's a roaring lion that pounces on Samson who has nothing to fight him back with except his bare hands. And the Bible says here, he tore the lion to pieces as if it was a young goat. I would, I would tell my mommy and my daddy about that. That's, that's a pretty incredible, I'd, I'd call, I'm 50. I'd still call my mom and dad and say, hey, guess, guess what I did today? Like I was in the hallways here at Highland and this lion came down the stairs at me and I didn't have anything with me at all. My iPhone, I knew that would not help me. So I just, I grabbed it, mom and dad. I'd, I'd call, I have a hundred year old grandmother that lives a few blocks from here. I would call her and say, Mima, I ripped up a lion today <laughs> like it was a goat. I would be putting this on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I would resurrect MySpace and I would put it on MySpace if I could still find that. I want everyone to know. I mean, that's what, I mean, if mom and dad were walking with him, this is what I understand either. How did they not hear a roaring lion and their son ripping it to shreds with his hands? That's amazing to me. And it has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. I'm just fascinated by, by this verse that he ripped this lion like a young goat, but did not even tell his mom and his dad about it. But maybe the deeper thing here is why in the world would the spirit of the Lord rush upon such a disobedient man? Why would the spirit of the Lord rush upon Samson who is spiraling spiritually downward, who is a man who has broken God's law, who has dishonored mom, who has dishonored his dad, who is pursuing this lady, who has no impulse control whatsoever, who's being ruled by his flesh, ruled by his passions. Why in the world would the spirit of the Lord come upon this man? I've got an idea. I have no idea if this is even a correct idea, but I, I think maybe, even in our lives, when we're in the middle of disobedience, sometimes God will send us a grace-based power for us to live in to remind us that we could live in that victory every day if we abided in Christ. There's times even in our disobedience and you might be in that season right now and every now and then you just sense the presence of the Lord and his grace upon you and his, his power moving through you to make good decisions, to make right decisions. I wonder sometimes if God gives us that special blessing of that grace-based power to rush upon us, to remind us that we could live in that victory every moment of every day if we abided in Christ and obeyed his commandments. That might be what's going on. I guess the other certain thing is God wasn't done with Samson yet and didn't need him devoured by a lion. Need to remind him of who he could be in the power of God by ripping that lion apart like a young goat. This story right here reminds us, Highland, that God is sovereign that he is overseeing all the affairs of man and all of mankind, and that the grace of Jesus Christ is greater than even our deepest, darkest, ugliest sin. Here's the last phrase I'd like to share with you. Humanity's sin can never stop the work of an almighty, sovereign God through Christ Jesus. My sin, your sin, our sin cannot stop the work of God. Now hear me carefully, please. If the person next to you decided to sleep, this would be a great time to wake them up. Because I am not saying 
I am not saying go sin as much as you want. God is constantly at work. Every now and then he'll give you a little power to make it through the day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should sin because if we sin, it still can't stop God. Here's what I want you to hear me say clearly. Sin will stop a marriage. Sin will stop a relationship. Sin will stop a godly friendship. Sin will stop joy. Sin will stop peace. Sin will stop you from obeying God's word. Sin will stop you from sharing the gospel. Sin will stop you from giving to the church. Sin will stop you from praying. But listen, sin cannot stop the work of God. But sin is a powerful thing. Why am I saying this to you? Because this week, I would plead with you to not fight against God. It's a losing battle. But instead, to lean perfectly with confidence on the sweet frame of Jesus because he will not give way. God is at work even in our failures, but God works mightily when day in and day out we abide in Christ and we obey him at his word. Would you stand with me please so that we can pray together? Father, we love your word and we understand everyone in this house, we understand we'll either be ruled by Jesus or we'll be ruled by something lesser. Jesus, we gladly would say, come rule over our lives. Rule us because we trust you. We trust your love for us. When other things have ruled us, they have left us dissatisfied, desperate, lacking in peace joylessness. Jesus, come rule over our lives, our hearts, our families, our marriages today. God, we thank you that even as we look back in our own failures of life, you are still at work. Some might feel like a failure this morning. It's a failure of a weekend, a failure of a week failure in decisions, a failure in their heart. God, you're still at work. Jesus, we believe you. Your Father is always at work. So God, work in us today. Work in us during this time. Work in us this week. Not as we resist, but as we lean into the frame of Christ. As we stand upon the cornerstone that will not give way. It is to Christ that we have been in your word together and it's in Christ that we pray these prayers and believe this prayer together.